Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker and we're coming at you a little earlier this week with something new. We've been teasing it a little bit. We've talked and we're coming at you with a recap episode, something that we still have yet to kind of brand. We're talking about some flyover fallout, maybe a flyover recap. And this is going to be kind of a shorter form episode, taking a look at the previous match a little closer to the match rather than trying to pack everything into a recap and a preview and news all at once at the end of the week. We're trying to break it out a little bit, and we're going to focus on last week's match with Seattle. But before we get started, I'm joined with Santiago Beltran. Santi, how are you? Doing great, Matt. Excited about this new part of the show, talking about the recap from the previous match, but not excited about talking about a loss. Uh, Obviously, it just happened that the one we started with, it was a loss, but uh, I'm glad we're doing this. It would have been nice to start this with a win, but I think things tend to get a little more interesting to discuss when we have a loss. There's a lot more to analyze. So let's jump right into it and let's talk about the starting 11. I think with the storyline that played out, this is the obvious and one of the more interesting things to start with. It's going to have a theme throughout the show. So let's look at what we rolled out, which is, again, a brand new starting 11, brand new formation, a different look at some players. And so we had Roman Berkey and Nett, which is the one consistent that we've had all season. Johnny Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett and Jake Nerwinski made up for the first time ever a back five that includes three center backs. We had kind of a triangle midfield looking with Indy Vasilev, Miguel Perez and Edward Leuven playing Kind of a 10, kind of an attacking midfielder. And we had Klaus and Joachini up top. So whether you call it a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2 or even a 5-2-3, what did you think of that? Well, my initial thought was a surprise that uh, Jabula Blom wasn't in the starting lineup. But um, that made me think, okay, maybe he's not ready for 90 minutes. I remember you asked about that earlier in the week. So I said, well, maybe he's not ready for 90 minutes. And then next man up there is uh, Miguel Perez. Um, but obviously a new formation. So I was surprised when I saw the lineup. I was like, oh, wow, five in the back. And yeah, you can think of Nerwinski at Nelson as as wings. But still, I was like, well, I guess Carnell and his team want to be um, careful. And uh, Seattle has... Uh, great attack and maybe that's uh, the way the team is going to approach the game but at the same time it led me thinking okay we don't have like enough in the midfield for for attacking and yeah Nerwinski and Nelson um, will go up and support the attack but I think it just left us uh, without an attack one or two attacking midfielders that uh, will have been needed and I think we saw that through the course of the game that we recovered the ball well but at times, uh, didn't have enough men on offense uh, to build plays and had to go back uh, go back to the defense or back to midfield. Uh, so I think if it took out a little bit of the surprise the team has had on our games. And I think that was the theme to me is a lack of bite in our attack, a lack of ability to string together some passes through the midfield especially. If you looked at it real time, it really seemed like the entirety of the game was played through our wings. We didn't we didn't have a whole lot of presence or pressure, and we had a lot of space that built in the midfield. And it was surprising in a sense because Seattle rolled out their lineup without Jao Paulo, their star number six, 
who we thought would have been the player to put the pressure on our defense to kind of prevent the midfield from breaking through and stringing the other passes, especially just outside of our attacking 18. And so to have Joshua Atencio as that player, that was even more surprising. And and to start with a back five, to me, says what we heard uh, at the end of the match in some of the pregame comments from both Brian Schmetzer and Bradley Carnell is that this was a lineup to play to the strengths of Seattle. Whether or not you say we punted on creating opportunities or chances, I think that's a little harsh to say that we shouldn't have expected anything, but I think the way the first half played out especially, this lineup did what they were supposed to do. They they created a few chances. There was one shot on goal. There was uh, one opportunity from Klaus at 16 minutes, pretty early in the game, where we were able to string together a pass to Nico Giochini out wide, and he provided some pretty decent service to Klaus in the middle. Klaus was trailed by a couple defenders, still managed to get a foot on the ball and get a shot off, though like we learned in Minnesota, a shot off the post does not equal a shot on goal, <laughs> no matter how close it was. Right, so that right. that to me was the story of the first half, especially, where you're you're focusing on mitigating this high energy, high octane Seattle attack and their ability to string together passes, their ability to create opportunity through the midfield and then run with the ball in their attacking third. We took that away pretty well. And we still we still kept with our kind of standard motif of low possession, high energy, but it wasn't in our typical play it through one of our midfielders that allowed our our wingbacks to get the ball into a, a position where they can then provide service to somebody up front. We didn't really also have any kind of playmaking attacking ability, whether you're talking about Edward Leuven or in previous games, Jared Stroud or Tomas Ostrak or Rasmus Alm. There wasn't that position that was there in the field. Those wings, those corner of the 18-yard boxes, we didn't have anything there. It was Joaquini and Klaus trying to determine if one was going to be wide, how they were going to attack the box, they never overloaded it to me. It was always more or less Joaquini staying outside, uh, Klaus roaming up uh, above him or below him, and you didn't have you didn't have numbers A, which is just a byproduct of having the three center back and having Nerwinski and Nelson be part of your attack forward, but not inside, and all of that together kept Seattle off the board and kept them from creating some dangerous opportunity but it didn't do anything for your attack. And after halftime, I think we started to see, we started to see that unwind and it didn't happen all at once. We, we were able to kind of make it through to 60 or 65, but then boy, that 60, 65 minute happened. Raul Rui Diaz entered the match, which you can kind of see as the game changing moment, right? So Leo Chu, who led the league in assists for Seattle came off. Rui Diaz came in at 61 and then St. Louis just kind of bunkered down and Seattle was able to change up their attack. Yeah, and um, obviously right after Rui Diaz came in, Seattle scored on the next play. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about what happened in that play, but uh, just the sequence, uh, thinking about the sequence that Seattle did, uh, led to um, that clearance uh, from Nelson that uh, St. Louis couldn't get that second, that second pass uh, or second play, but uh, before that, um, right after Rui Diaz came in, like Seattle was touching it from side to side. Uh, I counted nine nine touches before 
Atencio um, had that long ball that uh, Nelson uh, couldn't clear and that then led to the goal. So it was really a, like Seattle was playing a lot of longer balls and at times they chose to do that. But in other times they just build the play and pass from side to side and uh, then came with the with the long ball. So uh, they were using a mix of that. But uh, I noticed um, City was having trouble with with that long ball. Yeah, and there there were two quotes that Brian Schmetzer had at the end of the game that really, I think, speak to exactly what you said. One is that he was surprised in general by St. Louis coming out in that 5-2-3 is what he called it with Edward Leuven playing more up front. But the other is he credits assistant coach Freddy Juarez with making tactical suggestions at half that allowed them to bring the presence and pressure that they did in that 60, 65th minute to change how they were doing it. And I think that that what you illustrated, the the numerous passing sequences horizontally that made St. Louis move, made St. Louis push forward a little bit more, and then they were able to feed the ball deep. I think it was, was it Nuhu that fed it deep to um, to roll Don at one point? So I, that, that pass that led it to, it might've been their second goal, but some of the opportunities that they had to bring St. Louis and then send it deep, slightly different than what they had done in, in games past where they were making more of midfield passing sequences. Uh, this one, they were able to send it over top to St. Louis and some of these adjustments in those second halves in the second half that they made, Brian Schmetzer also spoke to wanting uh, Josh Atencio and Albert Rusnak to be more mobile because he and they quoted Schmetzer was quoted saying their center mids had too much ground to cover. So that was, I think, one of the tactical adjustments that they made is identifying the fact that, like we said, the midfield was just open. We had three players covering that midfield. Edward Leuven, we know, was pushing forward into that near three man forward look. But with such an opening in the midfield, creating space for Atencio is exactly how they ended up scoring that first goal. So, and you were talking about who made the long pass, and it was Josh Atencio. So was he started the play. He, he yep. was the the one that had the long pass, it. and then uh, he finished the play. So, uh, great play building by Seattle. Um, it was just too bad that St. Louis uh, couldn't do anything in that second chance after uh, Nelson uh, had that header to uh, avoid uh, Roldan. Uh, going all the way and maybe making a cross. But um, great build-up by Seattle, and yeah, they made great adjustments and really gave trouble to St. Louis with that long ball. You know, the the thing that I, I couldn't help but notice is the similarity between what happened after Nelson more or less turned the ball over. It wasn't a direct turnover, but it was a, a right. lack of clearance. And when, when Roldan had the ball passing to Ladero, Ladero did what Edward Leuven did against Real Salt Lake where he drew all of the defenders to him. So we had seven in the box, tight in the box at one point when Lodero had the ball there. They were they were marking the, the two of, uh, offensive players. I think it was Morris and Rui Diaz. Lodero played himself into the box to really trap St. Louis down low, including Indy Vasilev. And then when, when Lodero was able to find Atencio, who, to your point earlier, was still running down the field, barely in frame of any camera, as soon as mm-hmm. he received the ball, Vasilev and one of the other players broke free to try and get to him. But it was just a worldie of a shot. And when he got that off, he really had an open lane to goal that speaks to what our, what our center backs had been successful in doing thus far in taking away those passing lanes into the box and what Jordan Morris had been successful in before. But the way that Atencio was able to create this 
shifted the game entirely. Yeah, and you were saying you were talking about seven guys in the box, and um, Atencio had had a play uh, that ended ended up in a in a shot that um, like it wasn't even close. But uh, I think that was like the first time that Seattle did something like that, and the the fact that we had so many men in the box kind of left a lot of space for Seattle. So minute fifty one. Um, Atencio uh, played with Rusnak and Rusnak gave it back to him and he just uh, he went like maybe 5-10 meters and had a shot from outside the box that went to uh, Berkey's right and um, mm -hmm. at the end it wasn't a shot on goal but I think that was like the first um, the first time that uh, I saw Seattle uh, with a space and uh, maybe our guys uh, were all in the box and leaving a lot of space for Seattle to play. Yeah, and once once that happened, it's not hard to say that the tone shifted entirely. And St. Louis was on their heels. Seattle was a little more confident in what they were doing. And St. Louis had to spread them out even further. So they didn't change any of their, their formations between the first and second goal. They didn't change personnel. But they were still trying to be a little more attack-oriented. And so they stretched themselves a little thin. So in the 71st minute... Uh, when this was the the new who long ball, when he had a long ball to roll down, yep. Nelson Nelson was caught high on this one. And it's not that he was really out of position because I think he was exactly where he wanted to be from our attack. He was in that midfield role on the left side. But when new who was able to cross it over our entire our entire lines, both mid and deep, he was able to find a, a streaking roll down who he he I don't think he ever played it for a shot on goal necessarily. I think he was just trying to put it in the box. Yeah. And this is this is the one mistake I think you have to pin on Berkey to an extent because he had hands on the ball and it just got away from him. The touch wasn't there to make the grasp. And not only that, but the way that our center backs were tracking back, because this was a transition play, the way our center backs were tracking back, you could tell that Lucas Bartlett was man marking Raul Ruiz Diaz. And yeah. when Berkey put hand on the ball. Bartlett also kind of jumped with his leg to try and clear it right behind Berkey. When Bartlett, when Bartlett kept going after Berkey touched it, the ball stayed in front of Berkey. Rui Diaz was essentially clear at that point from about two or three feet of a player, took one step back and put it in the net. So the, the transition game kind of got, got away from St. Louis there. There was a little bit of a, a mistake in the box and there was some bad positioning. Bartlett at that point couldn't recover to find Rui Diaz quick enough and when you when you lose a player like Rui Diaz and the ball is free in the box, there's only one way it's going to end. Yeah, and similar to the first goal uh, before that long ball, Seattle again moving it, moving the ball from side to side. So two very similar plays, and the end result was that long ball that uh, cut a, cut the team out of position. And um, yeah, Berkey couldn't make the play, but um, to Seattle again. Um, breaking down the press, breaking down our defense. Uh, so they did a good job at that. Yeah, and that's another that's another goal that speaks directly to those adjustments that Freddie Juarez was able to implement with Brian Schmetzer and and identifying ways in which they could beat the the formation that St. Louis had. So at that point, the game's 2-0, 71 minutes. Between that second and third goal, St. Louis made a host of changes. The lineup kind of shifted. So we brought in... Isak Jensen, we brought in Tomas Ostrock, Sam Adeneron, Celio Pompeu, all attacking-oriented players. We took out 
uh, Nico Joachini. At that point, we had taken out Jabulu Blome because he had come in as a sub and unfortunately had to leave for an injury, which we hope isn't severe, but we'll be tracking that this week for sure. And we also took out Lucas Bartlett and Edward Leuven, which was an interesting combination of players. I think Bartlett is one that I guessed earlier we would be taking out for Tomas Ostrock. Yeah. But I never, I don't think I ever guessed that Leuven would be leaving. I, I thought we would keep him for his box-to-box abilities, but instead chose to leverage and take advantage of Indiana Vasilev and and really change the formation to be attack-oriented. And it it didn't have any success necessarily, but I do think it was the only thing that led to a semblance of a chance late in the game, which was the Salio Pompeu shot on goal. Yeah, yeah, but at that point he was... It was too late. And yeah, Celio had that shot, but um, the team just didn't create enough chances uh, with that new lineup. I was surprised to see uh, Leuven getting subbed. And I think even Leuven himself was surprised when, when he saw he was coming out. Yeah, he, he's a player who is very... Uh, he had been subbed off once, and that is against the Rail Salt Lake game where we had the game in hand. So I, I And knowing the competitor he is, it's not surprising that he was... He had to have been upset just as that competitor to be subbed off, especially when at that point we're only down to nothing. It's it's obviously difficult when you're at Lumen Field, you're in Seattle, to be down two goals with only 25 minutes to go or 15 minutes to go, rather. And and so he felt, I think, that he just could have helped to impact that game, especially since we were changing up the entire look of our offense. But you you can't really... So we talked about the first two goals as kind of similar in nature. But the third goal, while it was the nail in the coffin to St. Louis, there's a whole lot that just went wrong in that sense where I don't think, and it was a Jake Nerwinski own goal at 89 minutes. I don't think that off of the corner kick we were defending, it was anything more than he was trying his absolute hardest to man mark and was almost catching himself falling, so to speak. He wasn't falling, but he was off balance a little bit. And trying, mm-hmm. to, it looked like he was trying to clear the ball, and he just didn't get enough pressure on the ball to be able to clear it. It just went right past Berkey. Yeah, just an unfortunate play, and um, he 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 had a great game. He he had a lot of things uh, on that right side, and some of the few chances that St. Louis created, uh, he was involved. Uh, so it was unfortunate to for him to uh, score an own goal, but that's 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 part of the game. Those are the moments, right? I mean, we have the entire flow of the game and a moment like that off of a set piece corner kick can can change a whole lot. But let's shift real quick to look at some stats and, and how the, the game flow appeared to go when all was said and done. Um, with those, the, the way that we talked about the first half ended, St. Louis having blanked Seattle and, and the formation working well. The game ended similar possession-wise where St. Louis had 39% possession, Seattle 61. So what we were expecting both teams to have from a possession perspective ended up playing out. St. Louis didn't have much possession, but when it came to the attacking opportunities, the shot chances, the creations, that was a uh, far lacking from what we were expecting uh, the offense of St. Louis to produce so much so that Seattle outshot St. Louis 12 to nine. And like we mentioned earlier, outshot them on shots on goal six to two. We only had two relatively weak shots on goal. One was from Johnny Nelson in the first, and it was outside the 18. Stelio Pompeo with a little better of a, of a hit and connection to the ball in the second, but neither of them really posed too much of a chance to, to Stefan Fry. 
And passing wise, we still had a pretty similar expectation where Seattle passed at 562 times St. Louis, their usual mid 300s, 351. But the stats that I think are interesting, uh, th- those are what they are. The ones that I think are interesting that don't exactly tell the narrative that's been occurring in some of the fan base are the duels and the tackles and, and the expected goals to an extent. But St. Louis won the duel battle in this game, 66 to 58. And we also had more tackles won, 15 to 13. So in going into this game, we spoke a lot about 50-50s, second chances. And if you're talking volume-wise, we did we did win a decent amount of those 50-50s. We, we won a lot of those duels, and we created opportunities from tackles. It's the execution I think that was lacking and you can you can point that to the change in formation you could point that to the personnel on the field you could point it to being able to string together some of those passing networks where you're relying on Jake Nerwinski primarily to facilitate a lot of the offensive movement and that's shown in the passing network stats where Jake is clearly the player the the ball went through the most I think Johnny Nelson might have even been second on that but all of that leads to expected goals. How, how are teams doing in the shots that they're creating, the, the chances that they have? And it's it's not the blowout that it seems to be from the scoreline. The game ended where Seattle had 1.3 expected goals to St. Louis's 0.6. And given the shots on goal, given the chances, there are massive jumps when it comes to especially Rui Diaz's goal because of where and how it occurred. But that first half, St. Louis... Didn't have many shots on goal, but they had chances created that tells a little bit of a story in and of itself. Yeah, the, the first half, even though you don't see it in the in the shots on goal, uh, it was back and forth, and, and St. Louis had some chances, even if they weren't on frame uh, or got all the way to close to Seattle's box, but they have enough, enough men and had to go back. One that stuck out to me was one that uh, Nelson had around minute. 40th. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a combination with with Leuven and and Joachini, and then a pass from Leuven to Nelson, and he was basically uh, he didn't have a man in front of him, and he had a space to give it to Klaus, but I think he didn't see Klaus, and he ended up going back. Uh, that could have changed the game. Yeah, so I think that speaks to. I remember watching it and thinking, why didn't he make that first pass? I thought I know. I thought two things. I thought he's in a position he's not usually in that deep where he's playmaking to a running striker. Um, but also, I just wonder if if his if that speaks to something that I think Roman Burke had said at the end of the game, and we'll get into the post game quotes and and what those are. But he mentioned some of the players being in positions that they weren't used to being in, and so having to think a, an extra millisecond or so about what they were doing in those positions as opposed to it being natural from what they practice and what they used are used to all the time. And I know Johnny Nelson said himself after that he's played wing back before he did it with Cincinnati last year. But when you're in that position in the game and you haven't been practicing, you're being asked to facilitate in a, a more or less foreign part of the field from where you're used to. I could see that being not his first instinct as unfortunate as it might yeah. have been. Yeah. But that could have changed the game completely. Oh yeah. But, um, but yeah, great first half, and uh, just uh, things uh, change in the second half. But um, I think for 60 minutes, and you can see when you talk about the duels won, tackles won, you can see that it was a battle mm-hmm. uh, through 60 minutes, and it was back and forth. Uh, I was really excited. Even uh, 
like around 60th minute. So uh, apologies if I jinxed it uh, during the broadcast. I said, wow, this is a great game. It's like a two heavyweights, like uh, going back and forth. And obviously cha things change after that. So my bad if it was me. <laughs> Uh, well, at that point, I think that uh, the, the changes that Freddy Juarez suggested were probably already in flight. I wouldn't take too much too much heat for that one. <laughs> right. But I know there's there's a lot of key players we could talk about, and we don't want to spend too much time on any one individual player. But you saw quality games from Jordan Morris. Uh, Seattle fans had nothing but positive things to say, saying this, you know, he's earning himself a spot back on the national team as a regular you saw Rui Diaz's contribution, which he didn't start, A, which was uh, an interesting choice. But when the, when he subbed in, they changed shape themselves to kind of a 4-3-3, even though I saw a lot of comments that by the time Rui Diaz subbed in, Seattle never really needed to fall back into shape. Subtle dig on St. Louis for not creating any chances that allowed them to. But the other player to me is Nuhu. Knew who did work on the field, and and it was he's always a fun player to watch. But I've never really studied him too much, and his ability to absorb pressure, to be physical, and to really connect the back line forward, super impressive. And that that goes to the the beginning of the chance they created on that second goal, and in total team effort overall by Seattle. Even a bear when he came on for Alex Roldan was a completely different look and what he was able to do either as a nine or somewhat of a false nine, 10 that he had going. Um, this was, this was a, an experience for St. Louis to see the depth of a team of the caliber of Seattle, because Seattle now sitting at the top of the West is probably one of the deepest teams that we're going to face and that exists in the league. And so knowing that St. Louis is um, typically good at, making adjustments for their substitutes in the offensive half and creating chances after those 60, 75 minute subs come on, not able to do that here is not only a testament to the work St. Louis needs to do, but you have to respect the the power that St. Seattle has in having depth of their own of a Rui Diaz and an Bear able to come on and continue to be on the offensive in the way they were. Yeah, very talented team for sure. And this was a good test for St. Louis. Uh, this is one of those games that when I saw the schedule for the year, um, I was, okay, week seven, this could be a, a good test to see uh, where St. Louis is playing against a team that has won the league uh, twice in the last um, five years, won the uh, CONCA Champions League, oh, yeah. and they have a lot of, talent and depth and the fact that ever and Rui Diaz were on the bench just, just tells you how, how much talent they have but again I even though the result didn't go St. Louis's way uh, I think it was a good test and the team competed for 60 minutes just have to just has to uh, figure out uh, how to adjust uh, to make sure it's competitive for 90 minutes yeah and and there were positives to take away from St. Louis. The first half is obviously positive. The first 60 to 65 minutes that all three of the postgame interviews, Carnell, Johnny Nelson, and Roman Berkey alluded to the first 60 and 65 being successful in, in stifling Seattle and doing what they came to do, which is keep it close and prevent their offense from doing what they do best, which is score goals. So on our team, there, there are players to talk about. I think from Seattle, my player of the game was Josh Atencio for obvious reasons. Three shots, two shots on goal. Uh, it was his first goal. He scored the first goal, which changed everything, and it was his first goal scored. But he also led their team in duels. So they didn't have Joao Paulo, 
but they did have Josh Atencio and he helped control that game in the midfield with Palo out. So he was, he was also quoted after the game of saying that I definitely blacked out there a little bit. Uh, it, he, he, it took Jordan Morris coming over to celebrate to make him realize that it went in. So just running full speed and covering all that ground in the middle, that's something St. Louis has to watch out for. Um, showing that it's not just teams, uh, flashiness at the wings or the attack that they have to work to, but teams like that, when you're up the caliber of Seattle will make changes, uh, that really focus on areas that they see a weakness in for their opponent. So I want to hear your player of the game, but I also then after that want to pivot to some of these quotes that really get into that game planning. Yeah, so for me, obviously you had attention. He did a great job. We were talking on our DMs. Oh, what a break for City that Joao Paulo is not going to play. And then uh, say, like similar to when City has a, a sub or somebody's out, like next man up and attention just played a great game. But uh, another player that, I think had a good game and made a difference for Seattle was uh, Nicolo Deiro. He he had the assist um, in that first goal, also participated in the play for the second goal. And one thing that uh, I really liked from him and that I had not seen was that uh, he was going all the way back to uh, Seattle's uh, end of the field and helping in defense. Yeah. And there were a couple... I can remember one where, where basically he was the one that uh, recovered the ball for Seattle when, when St. Louis was deep in Seattle's box. And a uh, great game by him. And uh, I saw an interview um, he did after the game, and he was talking about, they asked him about going back down and defending. And he was like, yeah, I just um, want to show that I'm still prevailing and that I have a desire to play and, and still have passion for the game. And uh, basically the, the person that was talking about that was saying that basically this is the last year of his contract and yep. he wants to uh, prove that uh, he wants to stay and that he can still contribute both on offense and defense. Yeah. It, and we knew his role with the team was evolving and changing and he he's obvious. He seems like one of those players who's such an easy player to root for and a fan favorite for Seattle. And you hope that we can eventually get a player like that where their career is changing. They may they might not be in consideration for high level national team competitions anymore. And they're accepting of that. You know, they're they're willing to change their game to fit whatever the need of the team is and to grow themselves as a player as they're changing in their abilities. It's amazing. He has been with Seattle. This is his seventh year. He he came to Seattle in 2016. Yeah. And um, that season, Seattle won their first championship. Um, so he made a difference. And um, But yeah, it's surprising to see him uh, still there and uh, contributing after seven years. That's incredible. On the St. Louis side, I, like I said, there's still some positives to take away uh, for individual player performances. Um, you know, we mentioned Jake Nerwinski, Johnny Nelson, and what they were able to do in their shifting role here with this game. I do think that uh, Joaquini and Klaus had a couple chances. They had some connections that just didn't didn't bear fruit. Uh, but and overall, you know, that first 60, 65 minutes can't go unsaid how well our center backs did in their their different assignments. But the theme in there are different assignments. Uh, unusual positions. And so I wanted to look at some of the post game comments that Bradley Carnell in particular had said 
Um, and, and so starting off with what his initial thoughts were of the game where he said, obviously a three nil scoreline is never easy to accept largely very flattering result, you know, for Seattle, he says, you know, we took in a lot this weekend. We absorbed a lot of information. We know there's a big threat coming to Lumen field to face Seattle. And I thought, yeah, 65 minutes long was an excellent performance from us. Then we get derailed and hinged, you know, from a world-class goal from Atencio. So yeah, we try and make a play. We try to make a push. And for the last 20, 25 minutes, it went a little bit from our principles of which, you know, we have to find ways to stay in the game. And that, that speaks a lot to what we've been saying. But then he goes on to mention about the three center back look saying, look, at, they looked at a lot of video and looking at a lot of opponents who've played who, who's played who and looking at the form of our back line made a lot of sense for many, many reasons. And I think you could see in the first half what those reasons were and why we chose to do what we did. So seems like uh, the focus of the game was kind of on preventing that offense, like we said. And so the you make guesses on what you think the game flow looks like and what they're trying to do based on just what you see. But it's this last quote that kind of gets me. And he was asked why the team was struggling to get shots on goal. He says, yeah, because of the sort of stature of the way we went about the game plan to try and mitigate their strengths, obviously in transition, you know, maybe it's just they're staying on the ball a bit longer. We had our strikers a little bit more distant from another. So when we turn over the ball, you know, we need a lot more support and runs from then Johnny Nelson or Jake Nerwinski. So yeah, maybe we needed a lot, maybe we needed a lot of maybe a little earlier crosses, runs in the box, you know. So the idea of going about the game plan to mitigate their strengths. And this is where you can kind of just say, okay, they made a choice. They did what they did. And we saw the results. This to me is getting ready to play into what Roman Berkey had to say at the end about what they need to do moving forward, but changing up the game plan. I mean, what did you think hearing that from Carnell, seeing what happened that it seemed the primary focus around the three center back, the five man back line was to mitigate what Seattle had as opposed to doing what they've done best and hoping that that formation can game plan for Seattle on the fly. Yeah. Obviously he wanted to contain Seattle. Uh, we talk about the talent Seattle has and they went with, with the two guys that have been having a, a great run, um, Leo Chu and Jordan Morris. And I think the plan was to contain them, which worked for, for quite a, some time, but it worked for Leo we, Chu. He, he didn't yeah, do anything when he was on the Yeah, team. he didn't do much, but as we were saying, uh, like when St. Louis recovered the ball, it just uh, lacked numbers in the midfield and was relying on making plays with Nelson and Nerwinski. And yeah, if you get one of those chances and you score, that totally opens up the game. And I think that's what the team was counting on, that one of those few chances they will uh, take advantage of and score. But yeah, it's, it's just uh, on offense, um, didn't, didn't give us... Uh, a lot of support when when we recovered the ball just because we we had so many men on our own half um trying to contain Seattle so so yeah and as you said Berkey was saying well we need to play our game and and he mentioned that playing in that new formation new system was uh difficult for the team that maybe they need to practice it more but yeah um i think it was again um a good formation to uh to play against Seattle and, 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 and to play against their strengths, but just left us a little bit thin on, on the attacking end. 
one of the things that just popped into my mind as you were saying uh, what what Berkey was saying they needed to do is another quote Carnell had that referenced the turf. And I, I just want to make sure that we drop that in because Tim, somebody asked about Tim Parker and Carnell had a quote that Parker's ankle was, it wasn't hurt, but it was just, you know, one of those bothering him type things playing on the turf. And Carnell called out how old the turf is, how difficult it was. That couldn't have done anything but hurt St. Louis on top of the the change in formation, doing a little things yeah. different with their so where they were on the field and having to adjust to the type of turf because we have a turf practice field. You're not gonna you, they don't practice on that all the time even during this match week, but it it helps to uh, help us with those set pieces with those yeah. corners and things like that. This was a difficult turf in and of itself, and to to run out there the way St. Louis did, um, putting players in different positions. That end of the day, that doesn't seem like it helped at all. Yeah, and I think uh, something interesting I, I found when I was watching the game yesterday, the announcer mentioned that Seattle, um, they train on natural grass and they only play the games on turf. Hmm. And yeah, they have played multiple games there, but uh, knowing that they also train on grass maybe is not much of an advantage and um, yeah. it ends up being uh, impacting both teams so that was interesting to to hear but yeah they have played there multiple times so maybe they still have a slight advantage but from the practice point of view like both of them practice in natural grass um just it's just seattle being more used to to playing there when when but they don't basically mentioned that they don't train on turf that they just go play there yeah yeah, that's I mean it's good context because you always look for reasons and ways and why things went they the thing the way they did, but that that's good to keep in mind is that Seattle doesn't train on turf trying to to preserve ankles of their own. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So the last quote I do want to look at is from Berkey's perspective of those formation changes and and what his opinion was of sticking to their principles, saying, I mean, to be honest, we should not adapt too much to the opponent. We should play our game because it doesn't matter what opponent we play. When you look at the first games, we played our style and we were successful. So, I mean, we should probably stay to our principles. And I think that was what the coach said. And just do what we can and what we're do- and what we're doing well. So pressing, working, but nothing too much. And I think, I know I don't want this to seem like Carnell did one thing, Berkey, did, Berkey says he wants to do mm-hmm. another, because that's not really how, it, how no. it was. It was more along the lines of Carnell knew the caliber of players he was sending out on the field and what they can adapt to. And trying to mitigate the best team in the entire league for, for honestly, the way they're playing right now, they're top in the West. Um, our opponent next week is top in the East, but this Seattle team very well likely could end up top of the table in power rankings and having scored 15 goals of their own, having a 12 goal difference, which is far and away highest in the league. You have to game plan to an extent to them, especially when you're going into their house. But now, it, it, and Carnell mentioned at the beginning of the game in a, a, a MLS season pass interview, he, he didn't reference, he didn't say it was like a freebie game or a bonus game, but there was a little more of an understanding of what they were going against. And I think this is out of the way now. And so they're able to take what they learned and what they knew and what worked and what didn't work because there were things that worked and there definitely were things that didn't work and use that to adjust the game plan going forward. So whether it's variations of a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1 that have different roles for players to target different opposition players, however that might look, but keeping to what, as Berkey alluded to, those same core principles of 
how their style is and what they were successful in. I think I look for that to occur during the Cincinnati game because Cincinnati is far different of a team than Seattle. So there's a lot of lessons to take away from Seattle um, that I'm hoping to see employed going forward. Yeah, and I think the team uh, will adjust. Uh, it'll be interesting. And that's a few months from now. But uh, decision day, Seattle comes to uh, St. Come Louis. Maybe at that point, it won't matter to Seattle. They won't need a result. But uh, it will be great to see the rematch and, t- and see what adjustments St. Louis has for that game. Wouldn't it be great if we were in the same position in the table with Seattle now as we are then? Oh, can you imagine that it is a game that matters and whoever wins uh, get first in the conference and uh, maybe supporter shield. Uh, that would be great if that's a game that has implications, but uh, it'll be great to see that that second game between these two teams. Yep. It's fun to think about. And we have an entire season between now and then we have two tournaments to play between now and then. So, but you can't, you can't help but know that when Seattle comes around again, there's going to be a little bit of a chip on St. Louis's shoulder that we hope uh, hope they, they work with. And so after coming out of this game, Seattle sits first in the West. St. Louis sits second in the West still with 15 points. And the top three teams in the, in the table in the West, Seattle, St. Louis, and LAFC, separated by um, two total goals, 16, 15, and 14. The next grouping have 11 points. I said goals, I meant points. The next grouping have 11 and then nine. So St. Louis is still separated at the top of the West from teams like Dallas, Minnesota, San Jose, Houston, Vancouver, and Austin. So we the teams that we've beat are those middling of the conference still in the playoff hunt. St. Louis sits 5-2-0, five wins, two losses, no ties. We still have a goal differential of seven, so we still have a lot of positives even during this rough stretch that we're in. And we go forward, as we'll talk about on the show in a few days, to play a, a difficult Cincinnati team that has a whole lot of... Um, different tactics for us to discuss. So before we get into that next week, Santi, anything else you want to say about Seattle or where we sit or just taken away from this weekend? No, it's still, it's still in a great position, second on the table. Um, I know a lot of people are freaking out. Oh, two losses in a row. Uh, this team is not good. But just think about uh, who these games were lost to. And yeah, I know Minnesota lost to Chicago, but it's still... Uh, it, it was it's a, it is a team that plays different and uh, mm-hmm. they just took advantage of that shot on goal they had but thinking very quick about cincinnati just another test for st louis uh, cincinnati first on the east and um they um as you said they play a little bit different and part of that is their defense they have five clean sheets this season so it will be a, it will be an interesting test for st louis They love their clean sheets. All right. Well, that's it for us on this new edition of Flyover Footy with our recap show. Uh, I'm Matt Baker. This has been Santiago Beltran with me, and we hope you've enjoyed this show. We'll be back with you in a few days for our more typical news, notes, and preview show of our next matchup, as Santi said, against Eastern Conference-leading FC Cincinnati. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you later. Adios. Adios.